Okay, I'm glad you're here. I'm really excited to give this talk today. I, I, you know, life is so magical and, and the world is so fill, filled with possibilities. And sometimes we get to experience just, the, just how awesome life is. I'm reminded of a story that Reb Shlomo told. He said that he played a concert in St. Petersburg to steelworkers. And afterwards, they presented him with this bouquet of of flowers. And he said, you know, like life is even more amazing than we realize because never in my wildest dreams would I think that I play a concert before steelworkers in St. Petersburg and they'd give me flowers. And 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 here it's happening right now. So so we we don't even know. We don't even know what could happen. And and I want to talk about just possibilities and and to tell you a story. One of the m- most amazing things in my life happened to me two days ago. So so this is still very fresh in my mind. I I, I went to New York. I flew in from Los Angeles to the Muncie area, which is upstate. Now you have to understand something about New Yorkers. Let me just tell you this. This is a absolutely a truism. It might be a stereotype, but but if it, it's, it's a stereotype because it's true, okay? New Yorkers famously have no concept of geography outside of the confines of their neighborhood. Famously. This is actually, if you know anything about these things, they've, they've even created, like Solstein created a, a work of art that hung all over New York, which was called the New Yorker's View of the World, which was in, in like big, you know, it was taking up most of the canvas. It was like 9th Avenue, 10th Avenue, you know, and then off to the side, there was China and, like, you know, London, someplace. Like, like, once you get out of the immediate neighborhood, you have no concept of where anything is. And that, that is true. And then I'll just speak personally. It is especially true for me. Like, anyway, I won't bore you with the details, but, but astounding levels of ignorance <laughs> is, is what I'm trying to communicate to you. So there you go. There you go. Just as a backdrop, keep that in the back of your mind when you hear this story. So I, I flew in for, you know, one of my best friend's son's bar mitzvah. It's a, his eldest son. So, so it was a big occasion and I very much wanted to be there and be with the family for that. And so it was right after the Purim Suda. So, oh my goodness, like leaving from the Suda into the car to get to the airplane like, how is that going to work, right? Packing. So the first thing that I realized when I got to the airport was for the first time in something like 35 years, I forgot my talus and tefillin. So that's just, <laughs> that's just one thing, okay? So, you know, get to the airport. Okay, I'll figure it out. Shabbos, it's not an issue. I'll, I'll borrow his. And, and by the way, there was always tefillin available whenever I needed it. So that was, that was really nice. So it was absolutely not an issue. I get to the airport. And, you know, I'm flying. And then before I left, I had a deadline the next day. And I thought to myself, well, you know something, I had to turn in, I had to turn in some work. And I don't know if you ever do this, if you're familiar with this, some people do it. I used to do it a lot. I kind of stopped doing it because it wasn't so necessary. But I thought to myself, you know, I'm about to take a trip. It's probably a good idea to do this, even though I'm bringing my laptop, which you know, has all this information on it. I will email the file to myself 
So I have a copy of it. I have a copy of the file on the email in case I have to access it, right? And then I thought to myself, do I really need to do it? I was kind of rushing out of the house. I was like, you know, just go ahead and do it. Anyway, I get to where I'm staying and I realize I left my computer on the airplane. And with something to hand in that day. And I thought to myself, you know, no problem. I've got everything that I need on the email. I'll just access it that way. Um, my hosts were extremely helpful and they filed a, a, a request, a claim to the airport. This happened on Friday. Motzei Shabbos, after Shabbos was over, I already had an email saying we found it and we're ready to ship it. Okay? Now, the reason why I didn't kind of get bent out of shape is because of another story. And by the way, we haven't gotten to the good story yet. So, <laughs> but let me tell you this other story, which is that toward my mother's last days, she, she was in New York and it was a hospice situation. So she was staying in the apartment, our apartment in New York where I grew up in. And I was flying in from LA to see her. And I had this, this sitter, this prayer book, you know, this small kind of art scroll daily prayer book that a good friend had given me. I was one of the people at his wedding that was one of the chuppah holders. You know, you've got different honorary positions if you so choose. And so he wanted like, you know, his four, you know, buddies like holding the poles. And I, I was one of those guys. And as a present to us, he gave us this, nice little daily art scroll, kind of little hardcover thing with our, our names on it. So I had my name on it. And for years and years and years, I was using it every single day. And so, you know, I was attached to it. Anyway, as I was flying in to see my mom, I put it in the pocket in front of me and I, I left it on the airplane. And so, so I lost it. And during that time, I thought to myself, like, you know, I put so much, you know, I'm holding this during all my tefillahs. You know, there's all that, I feel a little hokey using the word energy, but I'll use the word energy anyway. You know, there's so much of my energy, in, you know, embedded in these pages. Like, it just didn't seem logical to me that it wouldn't come back to me. I don't know why, that, that may be very sort of naive, but that, that's just kind of how I felt. Anyway, I forgot about it because it didn't happen. Anyway, cut to one year later. I'm at one of the neighborhood schools. It's Friday night. And someone comes up to me and says, is your name David Sachs? And I said, yes. And he says, oh, my wife found your prayer book on the airplane. We, we've been meaning to give it back to you. <laughs> I think to myself, it's, it's a year. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. I'm so happy to have it back. You know, no, no, I'm grateful. Believe me. He says, stay right here. Let me, let me get it. Otherwise we're, we're going to forget, you know? So he ran back to his house. He ran back and, and I had it again and, and I have it to this day. And be, because of that, because of that story, when I heard, when I realized that I forgot my computer on the airplane, I was like, ah, you know, like, if I got the prayer book back, which was a much greater miracle, I'm, I'm getting that computer back. By the way, I was situated in the last row, middle seat. 
And I, I texted my family, legend, you know what I mean? Like, literally the worst seat on the flight. You know, last row, it was 41E. You can check it on United. Anyway, so that, that was an extra sort of like little assurance that probably, and I was the last person off the flight anyway. Anyway, it's all from Hashem, and it's a gift from God, and, and I was happy to get the computer back. But, ah, anyway... There was another rabbi on the plane who was coming in for the simcha and we, they, they arranged for a car for us, which was really nice. And they took us to a big, a big shul. It's actually a series of tents, Steiner shul, they call it. And he's the, the great Balt Sadaku who does amazing things in Uman, feeds thousands or tens of thousands of people. Amazing. He should be blessed and continue to just be a big light to all of us. Anyway, so I, I was able to daven in that in that shul, and then, and then I was on my own. You know, the person I was with had appointments, and so, so now we're getting to the story. I'm in upstate New York somewhere, again, no idea where, right? Just all I know is, here's the address. I type it into the Uber, and, and it's, it's 20 Pomona, and the guy behind the Uber, when I get in, says, so 20 Pamela, right? I said, no, 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 20 Pomona. He goes, oh, okay, 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 okay. Now remember, this was a red eye. As you can see from the story, I had already left my computer. I hadn't even realized it yet that I had left my computer. I had already left my Talos. You, you, you see that I'm in another zone. Also, it's Shushan Purim. So it's still kind of like Purim going on right now. And I fall asleep in the in the Uber. Makes sense, right? I'm exhausted. And about a half an hour later, we're now in a completely different county. I, I wake up, he says, we're here. I look around. The person I'm staying with stays in the, it's, his house is in the woods, literally. It's actually in the woods. This is like a, a regular suburban block I, I look up I said this, this is not the place he said no it's 20 Pamela I said I told you 20 Pomona he goes oh, oh, oh okay 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 we're in a different county we're over a half an hour from where we're supposed to be he turns around he drives two blocks and I see a sign Valhalla Cemetery. He drove me to my parents' gravesite. He drove me to my parents' gravesite. Do you understand? I hadn't been there for three years. I had no idea where that was, had no, I, no concept that it was even in the vicinity or in the, no concept. And I said, I said, stop the car. And he didn't stop the car. I said, stop the car. He stops the car on train tracks. It literally square in the middle of train tracks. I said, don't stop the car. Like, go, go, now stop the car. Like, what? He said, you said, stop the car. I said, not in the middle of train tracks. So, so he, 
he pulls over. I said, we, we, I said, I have to visit my parents. So we, we, we pull into the cemetery and I have like where they're buried. And I start walking and now I'm getting lost because I'm getting lost. So I call up the office. I said, I need directions. They say, okay. I said, they say, what's your parents' names? I said, it's, it's, it's Lenny and Shirley Sachs. They said, okay, we see it. We see it. Okay, you're in the right section. What name do you see in front of you? I said, Mishkan. They say, okay, first name, Sadie. Sadie, okay. Okay, go past, go past that gravestone and take a right. Like, by, she's directing me through the graveyard by the, by the names on the graves. Now what name do you see? What name do you see? Okay, turn left. And then I see up in the distance, Sachs. And it's like, it's my mother and father. How did I feel? How did I feel? And I want to I wanna try to explain how I felt. One thing that I'm going to tell you is, and I want you to listen really carefully, which is that the impossible happens in real time. I'm going to say it again. The impossible happens in real time. Because this could not be happening. This absolutely could not be happening. And yet there was this seamless, seamless continuity in the moments of my life to this moment. So it was happening. This thing that can't be happening was happening in the most mundane way, the most extraordinary thing in the most mundane way. And I feel like, to give you an example of this, and what's so funny of this, What's so funny about this example, I think, that I'm about to give you is this never happened to me, and I don't think it ever happened to you. And so this thing that never happened to either of us, this example I'm about to give, I think is going to be more relatable than the story that I just gave, which actually did happen to me. Okay, so here's a way to maybe understand what I'm talking about, because I think about this from time to time. Okay, imagine... You've bought a lottery ticket, okay? Like one of these like mega millions things that where the jackpot is like hundreds of millions of dollars, okay? And you've got your ticket and you've got your computer screen or the newspaper or whatever it is that you're checking the numbers on. And, it, and you look at your ticket, six, and you look at the screen, six, and then you look 42, 42, 47, 47, 52, 52, 59, 59, mega number 19, mega number 19. And then you go, wait a second. (laughs) Let me do it again. Let me do it again. And you do it again. And there it is. And and there it is on the screen. And in, this is what I'm saying. The impossible happens in real time. 
the impossible happens in real time. Like, it just, all of a sudden, that is the new reality unfolding around you. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because this is how Mashiach is going to come. This is how Mashiach is going to come. People are thinking like, no, it's, 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 no, no, no. We're going to be walking down the street or we'll be in our house or we'll be at night or whatever it's going to be. And we're going to be like, did you hear that? What is that? It's going to be a loud noise. Oh, someone, it must be someone's car alarm. No, no, no. It's not a car alarm. It's, uh, it's, uh, what it is. It must be like a, a siren, like an air siren. No, no, no. It's not an air siren. What is that thing? It's so loud and it's getting louder. What is that thing? And we're going to walk outside and other people are going to be walking outside going, what is that thing? And then there's going to be a realization. Wait, it sounds like a, like a blast. What is that like a, a is a chauffeur? It doesn't make any sense. It's not Russia show. Who, who's playing it? Oh, it's the chauffeur blast of Mashiach. Is Oh, it's, wait. And then other things are going to unfold. And it's just going to be like, it's just going to be like everything that we've heard. And now it's happening. And it's, and it's in real time. And it was just, this went right into that. I told this story after it happened. I couldn't believe it. First of all, if you want to know just personally what I was feeling, I was just thinking, my parents want to see me. That's so nice. I'm so, I'm just so moved. They want to see me that much. I had no concept. You don't even understand. It's not like, oh, I knew and the, where it is and I knew where I, I, I had no idea where I was. I, I may as well have woken up on a different planet at their gravesite. Do you understand? I had no concept of where I was. And all I was thinking was, oh, mom and dad, you, you wanted to see me so much. I Thank you. I'm so happy to be visiting with you. And then I remembered something that my wife told me. My eldest son is getting married. and And so... There's a custom, I guess, to invite your, if your parents are not in this world, to go to the cemetery and to invite them. And so I, I, I said, Mom, Dad, you know, I want to, I remembered it. I want to invite you to, to Moshe's wedding. And, and then, and then my son calls out of the blue, you know, usually I call him. He, he doesn't call me so often. He really doesn't. And it's all good. We talk. But he doesn't call me that often. And and he called me. And it was also Erev Shabbos. And I said to him, you know, I said, you know, Bubby and Grandpa are here. We all want to give you a bracha now. Because I give him a bracha, Erev Shabbos, even if it's on the phone. I said, all three of us are going to give you the bracha. And then after I give him the bracha, my children a bracha Friday night. I always say, I love you. So after I gave him the bracha, I said, we love you. You know, because the bracha was from all three of us. And 
And I'll tell you something funny, you know? It's funny and it's not funny. It's just kind of beautiful, actually. Hang on one moment. So a, a, a rabbi that's a very, very special, who, who's a new friend and who I've become close to, he's a Chabad rabbi, I, I wanted to share this story with him, and I called him up, and I said, and I fell asleep, and when I woke up, and he jumped in, he said, you were at the Rebbe's Ohel. And I was so amazed by that, because... Who, who would, who would, like, the idea of being at my parents' grave, I, I could have been anywhere, anywhere. The, the idea that he went to, to that idea, which was so, so close, like, how could you ever guess this? I mean, he didn't guess it. He did not guess it. But at the same time, he came awfully close. But where would be the most amazing place in the world to wake up, Right? And so that's, you know, just was like a peek inside his soul. You know what I'm saying? But it was close. It was close. So, so yeah, the, we don't even know. We, we don't even know what the next moment holds. We don't even know. We don't even know. And someone said to me afterwards, I, I was, you know, just telling this story. And someone said, you know how many things you could have done to make that not happen? Like maybe you would have stayed awake or you would have told him go a different way. And I thought that was an interesting perspective also. Like all the things that could have happened for it not to happen, right? And how unlikely that the place that he took me to would be do I don't know where Pomona Lane is, much less where Pamela Lane is, for goodness sakes. For goodness sakes. What went into that? But it also shows you that God can do absolutely anything Anything at any moment. Anything at any moment. And how close he is to all of us. I mean, he didn't take me to a cemetery. He took me to my parents' cemetery 3,000 miles away from my house. Where I hadn't been in approximately three years. So, you know, one of the things Reb Shlomo would say on a regular basis is, why are you making God so small? Why are you making God so small? 
And this was just one of those reminders. And I think that we have to work through this now because I think that if we're going to, or let me speak for myself because I'm still trying to process this, this event in my life, right? If we're going to take a story like this seriously and, and learn from it and expand our consciousnesses from it and, and, and in a way that they don't just snap right back shut like a moment later, right? Like, how are we going to do that exactly? So, you know, there's this thing going on in my life, you know, so a project I'm working on, basically. And, 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 you know, life beats you down after a while. And you, you just stop praying for certain things at a certain point because you go, you know, I prayed for it a lot of times. It looks like the answer is no. And there is, you see, this is the fine balance. This is why what I'm about to discuss with you is so challenging. Because there is this fine balance where a person has to be realistic. And yet, how do you remain realistic and never stop dreaming? This is, this is the challenge. Because God genuinely can do absolutely anything. And nothing is difficult for God. So how do you keep praying for things and allow yourself, give yourself permission, give yourself permission to daven for things that are almost by our standards, our, 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 what we know about life, almost outlandish. And yet still do it because for God, it's as easy as you raising a finger. And to keep on davening for those things, to, to somehow stay a realist while we never stop dreaming and allow ourselves to keep dreaming in a way that we don't get angry at God. You see, that's the trick. That's the trick because we can flip to the other mode and go, absolutely, God can do absolutely anything and then start davening for the most, you know, amazing, exalted versions of, of things that we couldn't even imagine, right? Which is, by the way, going to happen. That is the shared destiny of all of reality, that the most amazing things that we dismiss as impossible are absolutely going to happen. Absolutely 100% going to happen. Collectively, to the world and to us as a people, now, in terms of our individual lives, okay, so maybe that's a little bit more complicated because each of us has a soul fixing that, that has to be enacted and is for our benefit, and God has tailored this soul fixing, and sometimes this soul fixing is going to mean, all right, it's going to be X in your life and not Z, but that's going to benefit you because that little adjustment is going to fix your soul. So that's, of course, sure, God, you know, Right now, I, maybe if, if, if I had my druthers, I, I would do it another way. But you know everything. If that's how you want to do it, then that's the best way for sure. But to be able to keep on dreaming without getting angry at God. You know, I've shared with you before, sometimes when people say to me, you know, this, is, this current events thing is happening and I'm sure people are saying it right now with the whole Ukrainian war and everything like that. And it's a sign of Mashiach and everything like that. 
God doesn't need any of these things to bring Mashiach. Do you understand? God can bring Mashiach at any single moment. He's not waiting to make a war. He's not waiting for, you know, X, Y, or Z to happen. He can do it at any single moment. So, so, you know, it's funny. I'm reminded of a story when my wife was something like 19 or something like that. She was got attached to her tour in Israel and her tour got canceled and it was a whole hullabaloo. But anyway, she ended up with these people and they went to Amuka. Now, if you're not familiar with Amuka, it's a place in Israel where it's a, a grave. I think it's Rav Yonasan ben Uziel, if I'm not mistaken. And many people pray there and, and they, their prayers are answered for a soulmate. They, they get married after praying there. And I've even heard stories, even from someone who had happened to, that their wife was there while they were praying. And even as a picture with her in the back, I know the guy, I heard this story firsthand. And there are multiple stories like that, by the way. Anyway, my wife and her friend were religious. The people on this tour that they became attached to were sort of like, kind of like it was a trip to inspire them just about, you know, just the, the beauty of Israel and, and how beautiful Torah is and everything like that. So, so they said, okay, everybody off the bus, you know, it's time. We're at Amuka, the special place to daven for your soulmate. And my wife didn't get off the bus and neither did her friend. And the, the, the leader of the tour starts yelling at them, you have no faith. And she yells back at him, no, I, I do have faith. I'm just not ready to get married right now. That's why I'm not getting off the bus. Not because I don't have faith. It's because I do have faith. So, so you know, it's where we're headed. Where we're headed is just amazing. And, you know, people daven for Mashiach. And then sometimes people daven for Mashiach and they start to get angry at God. Like, like, why haven't you brought him? Or, you know, we heard from a very credible rabbinic source that the time is coming up right now. And then it came and it passed and it didn't happen. Like, why? Like, what, what is going on? And some people get angry at God. And, and then they stop praying and, and their whole relationship with the redemption gets very naughty, emotionally speaking, you know? But the idea is this. What, what we need to do, what our divine service is, is to know that it can happen at any moment. The point isn't when it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The point is that it can happen at any moment. And that we should keep ourselves aware in that way, right? And when we pray for that God should bring Mashiach or whatever it is, we understand that God can do it at any moment and he's going to do it at the moment when it's absolutely the best time. We don't have to worry about it happening. It will happen. So so that's, I, I, I hope I'm communicating. That's a fine line between we want it to happen. Oh, it didn't happen. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. To pray to God for it and that, that we should emotionally invest in the idea 
that any moment that God wants to bring him, it will happen. Not pinning it to a time. And believe it or not, believe it or not, this is consistent with the Gomorrah and Sanhedrin in Chalik, which says that anyone who's, who has a, a date that Mashiach should come or a time that Mashiach can come, listen to this, delays the arrival of Mashiach. Not only that, but it says that Mashiach is going to happen at a time when people aren't expecting him. So what I'm recommending to you happily aligns with all of these different itas, these, these different statements in the, in the Gemara, that if you just understand that it can happen at any moment, then you're just like creating that, that vessel, that vessel. And you're not getting angry at God because it didn't happen at this time. No, it can happen at any time. That's the point. That's the point. So maybe we can apply that same type of emotional logic, spiritual logic, in terms of, you know, our own prayers. That, that, that we can somehow continue to pray and to revive those prayers that are sort of deep inside of us of all of the amazing things that can happen and not to be afraid to daven for them and not to be afraid to become emotionally attached to them. Just keeping in mind that God can do it if he wants to do it. If he doesn't, that's okay. But let me at least pray for it. Because then it's not just that then I might get it. Yeah, then you might get it. But what I'm saying is actually something, I'm saying something deeper right now. What I'm trying to learn from this event where I woke up at my parents' grave, how could that happen in a million years? How could that happen? That I was taken there in my sleep by a driver from South India. It, it, none of it makes any sense whatsoever how it could be. What I'm trying to say is, if we can get in touch with all of the things that are our dreams and to keep them as a reality in our lives in a way where we don't end up getting angry at God or emotionally suffering for having opened up these boxes of dreams again. If we can find that sweet spot where we can do it, here's the point. We can stay in touch with a higher level of godliness in this world. In other words, instead of God just being the one who you know, and I'm not, believe me, as they say, any, any day you wake up above ground is a good day, right? I'm a, I'm a big believer in that one, right? Any day you can wake up above ground is a good day. So endlessly miraculous. But, but we get used to certain things that, that, that happen, right? And, and our consciousness becomes narrowed by them. And then we look at God differently. We do. We just do. But, you know, can you imagine, like, the richest man in the entire world is, like, you go to shul, and you're a little kid, and he's like, let's just posit the richest man in the entire world. And he gives you a little candy. And when you're a little kid, wow, I got a little candy. But let's say you're 35, (laughs) and he's giving you, like, like a little candy, but you know, he can also write a check for $10 million or $100 million or $300 million, right? 
And then the more you become aware of that, or maybe you just forget that he's capable of doing that, right? There's a classic Hasidic story. I, I'll just cut to the end of it, where basically the son is, you know, not with his father, who's the king, and the son is living in a mud hut, and the king is coming to this village and answering requests and things like that, and the son throws a request to the king, and it's like, please, may I have a new mud hut to live in? And the father, the king, is so brokenhearted, he could have asked to return back to the palace. Right? But he was so beaten down by his everyday reality that he forgot about that. So this is what I'm talking about. This is a reminder to me, and since I'm sharing it with you, it's a reminder to you also the outlandish things that God can do while we're asleep. While we're asleep. And to allow ourselves to be in a relationship with the God who can do everything and anything at any time without becoming angry with him. Okay? Okay? Because I'm taking it one step further. Because I know what the result of going down that road is. And I'm anticipating the next step. And I'm telling you to factor in that future obstacle at the beginning so that I'm giving you wings instead of a, a you know, a, a, a GPS into a brick wall. That's not my intention. I'm telling you how to leap over the brick wall. That's what I'm trying to do right now. Okay. Let's just keep on dreaming because, you know, the crazy thing is that's reality. That's reality. As strange as it sounds. As strange as it sounds. It says in the, in the Tehillim, when Mashiach comes, we're going to be like dreamers. And that's what it means. And remember, the impossible happens in real time. It's going to be a normal, just a normal flow right into it. And I feel so bad that I've forgotten the name of the Rebbe's because it's two of my favorite all-time Rebbe's who I mention all the time. But I'm going to tell you the story and I'm going to end with this without mentioning their names. But they're two of the greatest, greatest masters. They were sitting together and one says, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be when Mashiach comes. And one says to the other, it's going to be a night just like tonight. And people are going to come home from work. And they're going to have dinner. And they're going to go to sleep. And they're going to hear something that wakes them up in the middle of the night. And they're going to go to the window. And they're going to realize that Mashiach has come. And the other Rebbe said, you know something? I absolutely agree with you. But just one one difference. It's going to be a day just like today. And a night just like tonight. And people are going to come home from work. And they're going to have dinner. But that night, they're not going to be able to go to sleep. Right? Okay.